Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. I'm excited to be putting out this episode, our first episode with a college coach since the NCAA tournament last year. And join me as someone new to her current position, but certainly not new to levels of success. It's Courtney Banghart, head coach at UNC Chapel Hill. Courtney had an incredible 12-year run at Princeton, including a 30-0 season where she was named Naismith National Coach of the Year back in 2014-15. Takes over a Chapel Hill program who's uh, in a bit of turmoil, uh, certainly haven't won at the levels they probably expect to, and, and Courtney has taken over that program. I'm excited to talk to her about what led her to take that one, about how she built Princeton into uh, not even a mid-major power, but a a national power, a top 40 team every year, really. Um, A little bit about her journey. It was unique. It wasn't coaching. wasn't always something she wanted to get into. So talk to her about that. We'll have a little fun as well. We'll get her on the phone right now and be right back. This is The Jump Around. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me after a a long break in the podcast, I feel like having this person with me is uh, is a big get. So I appreciate you, Coach Courtney Banghart, head coach of UNC Chapel Hill. I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your morning for us. I'm totally psyched to be on with you, Blake. <laughs> well, we have so much to get to. Your your career's been fascinating. Your journey's been fascinating. Uh, but I want to go all the way back to your time growing up in New Hampshire. You're a phenomenal soccer player. You're a pretty good basketball player, but you, you love the sport. You, you talk about going, reaching out to Dartmouth and saying, hey, I want to come play here. Kind of take me through that That when you're a high schooler, you're, you're thinking about your next step and what ultimately led you to make the decisions that you did. Yeah, you know, it is a unique, unique story in that, you know, being from New Hampshire, everybody played soccer, kind of like North Carolina, right? Everybody played soccer. And so I just had been a pretty good soccer player all the way through and had had some successes. And it was just sort of assumed that that's what I would do in college. So I went on some recruiting visits for soccer with one Mr. Dartmouth. I was never going to look at the Ivy League, um, but my parents strongly encouraged it. So I went to Dartmouth on a soccer visit. I went to Boston College and I went to Notre Dame. And I sort of was, made my decision that my parents helped me through, thinking, you know what, probably um, after my visits, it might, might be the dark that would offer me that education that would allow me to um, perhaps pursue something outside of athletics. <laughs> and so um, here I go. And um, I got the call from Steve Swanson, who's now the soccer coach at Virginia. And he said he was at Dartmouth at the time. And he said, I bad news, I'm, t- I'm uh, leaving Dartmouth. But good news, I'm taking the stamp with y'all. So you have a couple places to come with me to, to, to Stanford, where you can stay on the service too. And I said, you know what, it's a perfect time for me to call the basketball coach. Uh, and the rest is history. So yeah, it's a pretty odd way to be a college basketball player, but um, I followed my heart, which I've been doing ever since. I appreciate the unintentional humble brag of, yeah, I went to Notre Dame and Stanford and Dartmouth and blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. We get it. All right, we get it. Yeah. Pretty, you're pretty smart. Yeah, pretty much your kid. Well, you... Um, you go to Dartmouth, you, you become the all-time leader in threes in a game and a season in a career, uh, a stellar career there, and then you get into the coaching in high school, and you wanted to do some athletic director stuff, too, because you didn't want to get kind of pigeonholed into that coaching role. Um, yeah. Those three years, though, at the high school level, you, as you kind of discover you know, what it is that you wanted to do, 
Um, those years, it would appear from the outside to have been pretty transformative for you uh, going forward and bring me inside those couple of years. Yeah, 100%. You're right. I mean, what, what I did at a very young age, I was teaching classes. I was, you know, leading the athletics on the women's side, and I was coaching. Think about all the opportunities there for I had to prepare, to execute, and to use my voice. You know, and you're doing it as the, quote, expert, whether it's you're teaching biology to freshmen or psychology to seniors or, or um, coaching tennis or basketball or leading a herd of, you know, leading a herd of, I mean, all of those things, you're, just, you're forced to, um, you know, you're really forced to use your voice and you're forced to be prepared and, and execute your plan. And um, there were some of, I would recommend that route, even though it's it's a, it's a very different route now that most people are taking. Um, I felt like it prepared me to take it. Um, to know that, that I can do this, that I can that I can lead other people, and that athletics can be a business. Yeah, well, and then when you go back to Dartmouth as an assistant from, from 2003 to 2007, I've, I've coached at my alma mater too, so I know that there's a, a comfort level there and kind of you're, you're able to gain your voice a little bit. When you guys were there, you obviously had a ton of success. Um, what was it like being back at your alma mater as an assistant? You know, I, I, I was able to get my master's degree paid for while I was there. So that was in part part of the reason I went back to Dartmouth. Um, but the other part was, like you said, you just it's a place where you're already known and loved. And so your street cred, if you will, <laughs> speaks for itself. And you don't, you have to, because I'll never forget, I went down to go do a shooting workout with one of our players. It was the very first time I was going to work at the college level with these athletes. And I was like, no, what if I don't know what I'm doing? Mm. And, um, you know, but luckily they assume I do because of the career that I had had. Um, <laughs> but yet, if it's your alma mater, you both will hold on to it. You know, I held on to it really tight. Like, oh gosh, this has to be good. Yeah. Um, and so it's both good and as you were able to it's a little bit challenging because you care about it so much. And, um, you know, it's a small world up there too because I, I was a big fish in a small pond. And so sure. uh, it, it couldn't, it couldn't be a forever, but it was a perfect next step. Yeah. Well, that, that forever ends in 07 when you take over Princeton and here you are, suddenly you, you look back a couple of years, you, you don't even think about coaching as a viable career. And now, before you turn 30, you're taking over a Division One program in the Ivy League. Um, you, you, you win seven games in that first season. Uh, were there any levels of doubt during that year one when you guys were struggling? Oh, that's a tough question in a, in a good way. I think, that, first of all, it's a perfect example of story of you surround yourself with good people and you do a good job where you are. Because really, Dartmouth, I mean, uh, Princeton came and found me. You know, I wasn't going to apply for the job. I didn't know if coaching was still going to be coaching it would be viable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that I was 29 and so young, I didn't know any different because it, everything kind of moved and I felt like I had been picked to do that to that role. Um, and then, yeah, you get there and you have so much work to do. You've never been to the NCAA tournament, but yet Princeton has success in all, most of its programs. So I felt like I was immediately joining a little bit like Chapel Hill. You're, you're or a lot like Chapel Hill as you're joining an athletic program that has had such tremendous and consistent success. Mm. Um, but yet, on the basketball side at Princeton, they hadn't yet found it, and so um, or found it sustained. Um, so I think if I really looked back, I, I would be panic. I remember I, on the way down my interview, I pulled over at one point and called a friend of mine in the business, and I said, "Oh gosh, what if they ask me about basketball?" And she said, because I didn't consider everything else, like what happens if all these scenarios, and she had said, Courtney, you actually know. You prepared for everything else. Like the basketball is what you know. And I think I just kind of led with that mantra. It's what I, it's what I know. And so just, just 
take discipline and, and work hard at it, and, and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, well, uh, I think it's fair to say it, it worked itself out just fine. 12 years yeah. at Princeton, you win 254 Jeez. games, eight NCAA tournaments, that magical run in 14-15 in when you guys go 31-1 and with that lone loss being in the NCAA tournament. Um, not that you ever think about going undefeated or anything like that. Not that anyone ever thinks that, but when you're when you're in that, did you did you realize how special of a run it was, or was it one of those things that I mean we always talk about as coaches? You know, it's just you're focused on the next game. Did you even get a chance to enjoy what an incredible season that was during it at all? You know, not really. I think I was a typical coach, and what we that that was partly what made that team undefeated. Honestly, is that we were never too good. We were never not good enough. So every week on Monday, I'd have on our TV screen and our film room about whatever we were like. Because it was like the social media now, I didn't want their heads to get too big. Like, it is what it is. Yes, we're ranked 15th in the country. And then I'd follow it up with film that we were going to either we had just worked on or film that we were working on moving forward. Um, and so the theme of it was that let's just let's, let's call it, let's be factual. We're a good basketball team. And mm-hmm. have some next steps. Um, and so that's currently what made the team so good is we all stayed in that space. And, um, you know, and so then now that, you know, ever since knowing that losing is a part of what your season is about, uh, you know, gosh, I missed that you already. <laughs> you know, you just sort of, <laughs> you know, when you're in it, you're just going to win in the next one. But I conversely, I didn't feel the pressure that everybody, you'd think I would feel at 28, 27. I remember at one point I looked at my staff and I said, we could win it all. We could, we could win them all. Yeah. Like it was, as, it was like on a bus ride. It wasn't like this big moment. It was sort of like, oh my gosh. And then after we had played everyone in the Ivy League once, we basically cheated and only. Now everyone else on our schedule, we've already played. So we've already beat them. Yeah. I, that's what I told the team. I was, everybody else on our schedule, we've already beaten. So now we go to hammer time. We don't just beat them, we go to hammer. Mm. So I think I kept changing their focus away from the record and onto different things. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, one thing I am curious about before, and we'll, we're going to transition here in a minute to, to UNC, but, uh, your name was a name that every year when big jobs open, people threw it out there. Now, whether they had any yeah. merit or not, it was out there, right? Whether it was Vanderbilt, whether yeah. it was USC, all these things for people who don't know, cause most of us don't know what that's like. How does that affect yeah. you personally? How does that affect your team when your name is just being tossed out there every year? Well, hardest one is when I had a top recruit on campus, and this was Oof. many years ago, and um, it comes out on social media that I was on Duke's campus, <laughs> like, in that moment. <laughs> and I was actually on Princeton's campus walking around to recruit. Fantastic. And so I was able to look at the recruit. I showed her my phone, and I said, this is an example. You can show a lot of things about me, because, but I, like you, get to make a choice every year, annually, up to four years of where I want to be, and I'm here even though the world thinks I'm at Duke, you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think we're, I think my team, it was really hard as you can imagine on the news week about uh, North Carolina the night before. And um, a lot of our players and recruits had reached out because they, they thought it might not have been true because so many other times my name had been in the news. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it sort of numbed them to like, hmm. whatever, which is name's always out there. It's like, don't worry, it's not going to happen. Um, and so it, that was, that, that's the part that got hard at the end, but otherwise I just was able to say, you know, brush it off and say, okay, yeah. I'm right here. Yeah. Well, th- this one made sense. I mean, this one, it's, it, like you said, there's a lot of similarities to Princeton. Um, it, it, it is a national brand. It is a, a program where you can do a lot of special things to it. But one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is that 
you mentioned that you can kind of see the finality of your career, even though you're you're still yeah. extremely young in your career. The fact that you can see that is there anything in particular that allowed you to see that? Is there anything that happened for that, or have you just kind of gained perspective over the years? Yeah, I think probably the uh, game perspective. I just think this is a difficult business. It's an all-in enterprise for 365 days a year. You don't turn it on and off because it's a people business. So whether it's recruiting with your current team or your staff, it's people that you really care about. And so you, you can't turn that off. So my circle of people that I care about has grown tremendously because every year I add new people to it. And so at some point, you, I just at some point you can't do it anymore, right? Yeah. And um, yeah. so I also think it, it got to the time at Princeton where it was, you know, like you said, I had such success and it was so fulfilling and working and it was, um, but pretty much I got to the point where everything else that we experienced together was going to be new for that team, but a repeat for me. And I looked at it like if I'm only going to coach, you know, X number of years from here, now's a really good time because you want to be able to build it, which takes time as, you, as you're taking on your new job. It takes time to build it, and then you get to enjoy it a little bit. Mm. And you don't want to be building it, and then and, and then it's just build and release, right? And so, it just felt like it was the finality helped me think through the progression of what was next. It's going to be Princeton for my full career, uh, which means the Ivy League for my full career. People don't understand that. Like I've been in Ivy League since I was seventeen, same locker rooms. Like I, at some point, I saw that wasn't going to be able to continue to happen. I wasn't going to be fifty in the same locker room I was when I was 17, even though Princeton was a hard place for me to leave. Yeah. And it just felt like it was the right time to say, I got one more big move in me, and, and it had to be the right place. And for a lot of reasons, the dogs were swept off, but this was the place. Yeah. Well, you, you take over this program, which obviously hasn't been at the levels of success that it's used to in its past. And I know you've talked about, hey, this is a new start. This is a new program. It, it, you know, Yes, of course, what has happened in the past uh, can help you, but also you're, it's new leadership, it's new faces, it's a new voice. One thing I feel like people a lot of times overlook uh, in that, yes, UNC is a great job, but you are in a league where currently you have to climb over Notre Dame, Louisville, NC State, Syracuse, Florida State, Miami, you got Clemson coming on, you got Virginia Tech coming on, like, okay, yeah, in theory, that sounds nice that you can just, you know, be back top of the ACC, but my goodness, the people you're playing yeah. every day are pretty damn good. Uh, for you, I, I know it's hard to break it down. You've been there for four months, but um, how do you try to manage expectations while also setting a bar of, yes, we have to reach this? Yeah, you kind of stay where you are, right? So for me, it's sort of like that 30 and earlier. I'm just staying with, with this group today and then with this group tomorrow. And my job as a coach is to get them further than they would have gotten on their own, right? And so... Um, I can't spend a ton of time worrying about what everybody else is doing, that just like in that 30 and out year, or that 7 and 23 year, the first year I had at Princeton. You know, um, we were 7 and 23, and the athletic director, Gary Walters, would have told you that, that he had changed his coach. I mean, he was so proud of me after every, after, after the season, and I was like, what is wrong with this man? <laughs> we're 7 and 23, you know. But he saw that what we were building is was sustainable and, and was going to get there. Um, and so, yeah, it's a great league, and it's totally wide. He's, he's always been the league target, um, because it's a basketball conference. It's a great academic reputation um, conference, um, and that I'm going to be against the best coaches in the country, um, and with, as we, as we continue to build the ACC brand. So you're with and against the best. You're, you're playing uh, at, a, at a conference that cares about your sport tremendously, both in the and inside. Um, so, yeah, there's no doubt there's a giant mountain to climb. Um, giant, and that's hats off to our league for making it so. 
Yeah. Um, when you take the job, has there been a moment of, oh my goodness, uh, for, whether for good, bad, indifferent, but has there been a moment where you just kind of step back and looked at a certain situation or a certain thing where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm here at Chapel Hill. You know, was there, was there ever like that kind of moment for you? Yeah, there's that a handful. I mean, one is uh, in the negative side. It was like, you know, my family didn't move down here until mid-August. So I was traveling up every weekend to be, well, they finished the school year and everything else. I was, so I was, uh, you know, I haven't lived without my family in so long. It was, that part was lonely. But also, you leave a fully operation that operates with your standards and the way that you want. And the seniors pass it down to the juniors. You pass it down to the everything to take over something entirely new. There are no standards in your case the way that you want them set. That, that was a huge undertaking. So that was uh, like, oh, what did I do? Right? Um, and then also when I'm sitting and talking in the first week to Roy Williams in his office and hearing about his both trajectory, I mean, his journey and his love for Carolina. And he basically said, I said, how long are you going to coach here? And his game, he's insane as long as I, it takes me to get my grandkids into college here. <laughs> you know, all his kids went here, et cetera. It, it, those moments you're just like, you at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, is a, this is a giant tradition and a giant brand and Mac Brown is probably every day um, a coach um, you realize that you're kind of you're in that well you're in that environment excellence whether you're in the airport or I mean literally in the grocery store I left a CrossFit workout I'm having showers I don't even know what I was wearing hopefully not a Princeton shirt <laughs> and two different people or three different people at the, at the, at, at the grocery store were like take hey, coach glad you're here you know, and awesome. you're just like, you're now, it's a big deal. The sports are a big deal here, and that, that's been really fun to be part of that. Yeah, that's really sweet. With with you taking over the program, and I know you, you take some time, you build your staff, and then you almost immediately you're out on the road recruiting. Um, how important for you, because you, you you have a good mix of a staff. You, you brought one from Princeton with you. You got another one who's got a lot of ACC experience. You got another one who has experience in the state uh, for you bringing that staff together, how kind of how did it happen, and just how important was it for you to have kind of all those check boxes knocked off? Yeah, you know, I've got to say, talking to you, podcasting with you, this is what makes it enjoyable for everybody, right? That they get such a knowledge of what we're doing, so we can kind of get through all the BS. Because you're exactly right, it's, it's, your staffing is so important. And so, when I got the job, what I didn't do was call all of the top 20, 2020, and say, hey, I'm, I'm here, <laughs> did the opposite. I first dealt with my staff. And so, what, and it's piece by piece, because it, it was important that one skill set didn't fit entirely with the other one. It was one that complement each other, right? And so, starting with Carrie, my, my recruiting coordinator at Princeton, um, she is so prepared and ready and, and, and great at, at at this opportunity, so I knew she was coming along, but I had to get over here, right? Get over here, so I could see it and all that, and then one joint. And then you go kind of piece by piece from there, and you either want it to be experienced, you know, regional recruiting. Um, and so it, I got the three I targeted. Um, this is really, um, so far, I'm batting a thousand. That's good. Um, <laughs> and then I also just, I was able to do that. It took our time on it because everyone had to move. And it's not, people forget that. College basketball is like, yeah. it's all inclusive. It's so, all three of them had to move and buy homes. And, and um, you know, I got the right staff on board, and that was one of the things I was most stressed about. I said, in the last four months, but stressed about months to do. Yeah. I got the staff I wanted. And it's I, I I can't remember who I've I had someone on um, and they talked about matter of fact I remember now it was Robin Freilich who's the head coach at Bowling Green who had come from she's a, so great and she is great and she came from a Division two school and one of the things that she remarked about the hardest transition for her was she's like I had two assistants 
and that was it. And now I've got three assistants, Adobo, a video, a blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you guys, same. You got your assistants, you got your Adobo, you got your director of player development and community and, and all this different stuff. Uh, how different was that for you? I know you had a good staff at Princeton, but how is it for you now that you've got even more people that you're over? Almost the best part of the job. Really. I mean, I've got, so last night I get in practice, I don't know, late afternoon or mid-afternoon and I get home after practice and before I even, I was out riding bikes with my little kids and I get in, I've got the film already broken down into a handful, you know, many clips that I can then take and if I want to sort of my team, notes are already on it. I mean, whereas I said I would have gotten home later, this practice was later, so I would have gotten home after 7.30 and I wouldn't have even had, had the film watched yet and then I would have had to then write the notes up. So you just, you have excellence around mm. at every position. Um, and when excellence, I sort of absorbed, you know, what I inherited with the years tapped, but I actually got rid of some positions so that I could increase salary of the positions that were existing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was able to create new positions. Uh, you know, three of my four sports staff are brand new positions that were that were created that are that are exactly what the innovation of our game requires. And having the additional support, sure, you can manage more people. You know, that, that comes with being a leader, right? It's that, God, I have so much more help. And then I'm always going to care about developing young people, which I did at Princeton. And then the problem is, is other people would then take them. Here, I'm going to continue to develop assistants, but I'm going to develop assistants to be head coaches. Yeah. And so I'll get a little bit more experience of a coach that will help me day day, um, help me stay in my lane more than having everybody else's lane. Mm. At Princeton, I was in everybody's lane all the time. Sure. That was Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it would be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that you had to do when you first took over was you, you reach out to the, the returners and you try to talk uh, to them about staying. Obviously, anytime there's a coaching stay, uh, a coaching change, a lot of people's names go into the portal. They think about leaving, whatnot. Yeah. So you talk to them, you talk to the commits. But on the other hand, I'm thinking there's a balance, right? Because you want people there that want to be there. So you, 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 want, you want people to say you want them to be there. How do you balance those two things when you, when you were first in it? You know, uh, everyone who was in the portal, which happens in the portal, means your spot at the current university is no longer available, right, unless you get invited back. And so two of the three who transferred, I didn't even meet. They were gone, or I don't know, they never were even here. So I don't even, I wouldn't know them if I hit them with my car, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the third um, one that was here kind of gets shots up. And so, you know, I, I, it was a really simple conversation. I put her into the office, and I introduced myself and um, got to know her a little bit. And then I said, I want you to feel welcome at the University of North Carolina because you're a graduate either way, because she graduated. And either you're an alum and therefore a fan of our program, or you're on our team. And either one, it's totally your choice, because what I'm building is exactly what you said, Blake, people that want to be here, starting with me and my staff. It's always one of the priorities for my staff. Um, but either way, you're either an alum or you're a current player. And so you're important to me. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how that conversation went. And then with the recruits, the same thing. When there was, you know, the people that were on their way, you know, the, the 20s that had committed, um, I, out of respect for the, the program, I honored those commitments. Um, but yet I got to lay my eyes on them myself. And um, one had decommitted, which gave us flexibility and freedom as well mm-hmm. to sort of find out if it was the right fit. And so I think kind of everything has sorted itself out with, with how kind of how it, how it has spoke to upon. People that are, are here are going to be a great fit for what we're doing. People that aren't, um, we wish them the best as a learning journey. Yeah. Truly. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and I get that. And part of the recruiting piece that I, I always kind of roll my eyes at is, uh, for, for instance, when you get it, you know, the Ivy League, for those who don't know, don't offer athletic scholarships. So people talk about, oh, now she's at Carolina, she's got scholarships. So it's, it's a different kind of recruiting. And I, I laugh because I'm like, well, you know, people don't just get to like say, hey, Princeton, I'm going to come play for you now. Like there's you, they recruit and they offer people the same way that you would now. And, yeah. and you were a top 25 team. You were a perennial top 35 team. Um, so for I, I always roll my eyes at that. I don't know if that bothers you or not, but you are recruiting still those high caliber players just like you were. I mean, you look at Princeton. They got a kid on that team who could be playing in the ACC because she's good enough. Um, oh, you have many. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all five of the Princeton high majors for those the players that are – yeah, the, the, the talent behind it, Princeton, is, is probably the best team I had, but maybe even better than that 30 in our team. Yeah. Um, and so that was that made a really hard year to leave. Um, one case, it also made it the right year to leave. Because I always tell my players, you have had success in our program if you leave it better than you found it. Mm. And so what better way to do that is to set an example for it. Yeah. Um, and so I left that program better than it's ever been. Um, and that's, that's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And... With your recruiting moving forward, I mean, uh, how much has it changed? I mean, ha- I mean, I would, I would venture it wouldn't yeah. much, right? No, you're right. No, you've got to get people that you know. Talent wise, there, uh, you know, I put, the, I was recruiting against high majors all the time. There's not a player there on my, on my team at Princeton that, that that's what that's what made us a high major team. Right? we didn't just answer the phone. Right? <laughs> uh, we actually didn't do that. We actually what we did was we didn't phones. Right? We would focus on calling out. Um, same thing here. You know, is it's figuring out which um, which players are going to fit the style of play, which personalities are going to fit your program, um, and you know, just like I just like I did at that level. Obviously, there's a little bit of a timing issue with the fact that it's an offer, and and um, I actually, there's some nuances that, that I've had to sort of um, adjust to. But you know, for the most part, we're you know we're we're recruiting exactly the same way we always did, and. Um, that's been one thing that's done really well, and that has to continue. Yeah. Um, all right, I want to go with a, a few off off the beaten path, uh, kind of rapid fire questions. Gosh. Okay. Oh, oh gosh. I'm gonna. Okay. I'm, I'll start it easy, and then. This is truly rapid fire. Make sure make sure your audience knows that. I got their notes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Ra- rapid fire. What is your second favorite color? Second favorite, Carolina blue. No. See, what's first then? See, I assumed you're gonna say that first, and that's why I said second. Maybe. Okay, that seems like cheating. All right, what's your go-to meal? <laughs> My go-to meal, gosh, that's a good one. I got any meal where I get to actually sit and eat it right now. Really, it's incredible. <laughs> it seems to be a Chapel Hill thing. Um, and when we do morning workouts, I they we provide them for the team. Wait, so what? That's been fun. What is it again? It's called a fruitable. I think some people know it as like a pliable. Or acai bowl. Oh, sure, sure. Those are solid. Yeah, yeah, it's like some yumminess with fruit on it. Okay, very good. Now you you seem you you still you're still in playing shape. What do you have a cheat meal? Do you have something that's just completely awful that you love? Oh gosh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> like cheese and crackers. Okay. With a glass of red wine. I mean, that's like a go-to. Okay. Um, who doesn't love pizza? When you have kids, you that's what you do at least once a week. Yeah, um, sure. Oh, a lot. Yeah, okay. I, I would say everything's in moderation. Everything's in moderation. My, yeah, my you got to be careful in the South. They'll, they'll get you pretty quick there uh, if you're not, oh, for sure. you're not careful. <laughs> you're so, right. um, please tell me about the time you went bungee jumping in Switzerland. Oh my gosh, the best part of that story was here. I was in Interlock in Switzerland. I was, tra- I was traveling abroad, and I didn't have enough money in my account to go, and so I had to call home. 
And now the time the time changed made it that it was the middle of the night home. And I so of course my parents answered completely panicked. This is pretty self <laughs> I looked on some random like hostile phone line. And uh, I said, Hi, sorry to wake you up is that okay? Like panicking immediately. Now like, everything's great. Um, I just need money. And they were like, Pan- you panic even more, you know? And I told them what I wanted to do. I wanted to bungee jump. And they said, well, well you don't have enough, you know, why would you want to do that? I was like, well, it's the highest jump in the world. So I don't know when I'll be back here, um, et cetera. And so the best, the best part is not doing it. It's the best part is I had to actually ask the money to do it. Um, but I got to do it, which was awesome. And they gave it to you. So, man. They gave it to me. Yeah. And that was like back when you had to like literally wire it over. I mean, I had to like, yeah, it was a lot of hassle, but we made it happen. That's fantastic. Uh, what is the last concert you went to? Oh, gosh, a really great. I went and saw Zach Brown Band at um, Red Rocks out in uh, Denver. If you haven't been to Red Rocks, Red Rocks thing? I haven't. Oh, my gosh. You're 12 months from this day. You take that other half of yours and you surprise them. You take a little red box. <laughs> okay. Call it. It's right outside. Of, it's basically in Denver. So it's attached to it. It's really close to Denver. Playing the Denver airport. And it's a completely outside of the theater. And, um, you know, and it's, you're, you're literally in the mountains. You're kind of cutting into rocks where you're sitting. Um, and it's absolutely, it's a, it's a bucket list item. Like, you know, seven wonders of the world. It's got to be eight. Um, so yeah, and then I went and started that down there. It was great. Awesome. All right. I've written that down. So thank you for that. Um, yes. Okay, another story I need to know. You hitchhiked in Alaska. Oh, yeah. So I was on an outdoor leadership class. So I had gotten Episcopal High School where I was working to pay for me to do an outdoor leadership class so that I could then lead outdoor trek. Um, and so they paid for me to do this two-week outdoor mold experience in rural, 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 sorry, rural Alaska. So after the first week of it, I was like, this is so awesome. But so is this state. And I've done this. It's going to be another week of the same deal. I'm out. And so I had made friends with a hockey player at Michigan on the trip. And I told him the night before, I'm leaving tomorrow. We've gotten really close. And he was like, where are you going? I was like, I don't know. But it's Alaska. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things I want to see. And so I said, he's like, I, should I go? I'm like, well, that's, up to, that's totally up to you. Like, I'm definitely doing it. So luckily, he ended up coming too. And so we, we, the morning comes and we tell our instructor we're, we're leaving. And she says, well, you know, they all were kind of like, why? You've been great. I'm like, oh, no, I love it. I'll, I'll write a recommendation for you. I love it. But I just love the state. And I want to go see Florida. I want to see salmon swimming upstream. I want to go to the climbing village, like whatever. And uh, she said, well, all of your money and, you know, your range, everything is back in um, back in um, Anchorage because we had left from Anchorage and took a bus and all that. And I was like, okay, well, I got to get myself to Anchorage. So it's no problem. So, like you see in a movie, I literally like had my my face, and and my buddy and I just started walking away, and we went into the we basically hitchhiked, and the rest is history. So we hitchhiked around for about ten days, made our way back to money, made our way back to um, Anchorage, and um, flew out the next day. It was great. That's incredible. And we literally did see blue catching salmon who were swimming upstream. Like it's not something that's in National Geographic, but not in the world. <laughs> that's, yeah. Real world. Confirmed. And then we went to Chukita, we went to the fishing village, we, I mean, we saw the really the inside of Alaska, staying in scouts. I mean, Alaska is almost like, it's probably, you could probably still do that there. I don't know why that place hasn't caught up, but it's pretty awesome. Safe to say you, you are not afraid to live life a little bit, huh? No, I think that's partly it. I think so many people like ask, oh my gosh, you have such security at, at Princeton, like you left security and you probably would have gotten the whole same and, and it's sort of like, I just have never been, um, the biggest risk, I'm a, the thing I'm most afraid of in life, besides like, 
these cockroaches that live in North Carolina, I found, is um, <laughs> the concept of regret. Like, I just, we don't know how long we're going to have here, and I don't want to regret not having seen Alaska when I was right there, or not having, you know, any of this, like not having taken a different job to try a different experience to live a different experience, you know. Um, so for me, it's not a risk of failure, it's a risk of regret. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, those cockroaches, they're, they're serious. I, I lived in North Carolina for a large chunk of my life, so. Holy gosh. You did? What part of North Carolina were you in? Uh, Charlotte area. Oh, yeah. Great. That's close. Yeah. Uh, football teams at, at playing in Charlotte and North Carolina this weekend. Yeah, the cockroaches are literally, I mean, they look like a combination of a bat and a rat. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? And I had to go online and search, like, giant cockroaches and... Yeah, there's like bugs. Okay, so this is good. All right, you know, I'm going to transition. This part is unscripted, so bear with me. But um, so I feel like I'm a North Carolina expert, and with you being new to the area, I'm going to ask you about some oh, North, yeah. North Carolina things. Have Perfect. you have you gone to cookout yet? No. To a cookout or cook, cookout? No, to, to, a, a, it's, a a rest, it's a restaurant. Oh, no, definitely not. Okay, nope. you definitely need but to. But I'm writing my own list. You're going to Red Rocks, I'm going to cookout. Listen to me. Now, let me tell the audience, the audience cookout is the, the lifeblood of any college kid who went to college in North Carolina because it, it's, it is completely fresh and it is the cheapest meal you will find anywhere. And it's is phenomenal. It like, so it's like pork? No, it's like anything. It's, it's like you can get, you can get, a, you can get a cheeseburger, you can get pulled pork, you can get anything. And then their sides. Okay. Yeah. You can get fries, you can get hush puppies, but you can get corn dogs you can get chicken nuggets <laughs> as a side oh i'm awesome. telling you according it's it's life-changing i spent so much money there in college it's a little embarrassing so okay. cook so out 12 months to go to cookout you got 12 months for the red rock deal. deal all right deal on it that's fair uh and have you been to a bojangles no although one of our top recruits i asked her about chick-fil-a and she was like coach chick-fil-a like Bojangles, yes. I'm like, we don't have that in New Hampshire. What is yeah. that? And she basically looked at me like I had two heads and was like, "Oh my gosh!" So I told her before September one, I go to Bojangles. So I got three days. Okay, all right, good. Uh, Cajun flavor biscuit. So that will happen soon. So there you go. Um, well, good. You're getting you're getting doctrine. And then if you ever want to in Shelby, North Carolina, which is probably about two and a half hours from you, they have the, uh, the annual National Liver Mush Festival. So if you want to really embrace your southern oh, cool. roots. Go get some I have to say, I mean, we're sort of joking, but one of the reasons that North Carolina, that University of North Carolina was the perfect place for me is also location. Yeah. I mean, I want to be able to offer a desirable location, both to live with my family, but also to recruit, too. And um, I've not been to the other branch yet, or to the mountains. Obviously, you could go to a new job. Your first plan is not to vacation. <laughs> so i got to wait probably another nine months. But I just feel like this area, people, like, I didn't know what Anson Dorrance or Matt Brown or on the interview process, and they were like, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, a few more here. Uh, what was your favorite away venue that you've ever coached in? Oh, my favorite away venue. That's a great question. Um, Cancun doesn't count, right? No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, in the U.S. I would probably say, you know, I, I might say it was the Stanford. Um, 
in part because I actually wasn't as overwhelmed by the community of the campus that I thought I would be. I was just talking about Stanford campus. I thought it was fine. But it was that we have so many Californians in our, in our program at Princeton that I felt like they were all coming. And they, they had their own little, like, fan base of we are Princeton from, yeah. you know, we are, we are the that, – that was neat to just um, – to be – uh, favorite movie? Oh, really going back. I love the movie you Can't Buy, Can't Buy Me Love. It was like old school Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, okay. Have you seen it? No. Oh my gosh. No. It's so great. So he's a old school boy. Um, no movie about, about that. Um, but that movie, like, I'm not even, it's not high def, for example, but I'm still almost embarrassed <laughs> saying that would be um, a favorite movie, but that's kind of one of the ones I go to. Uh, I'm not really a movie watcher. I would say I'm more of a um, book reader. Okay, see, I'm gonna say I don't watch movies either unless I'm on long flights. So I end up watching movies like nine years after they come out. So maybe yeah, like I just saw Pretty Woman like last night. Yeah, totally. I'm with you. <laughs> we we just watched it. The Which other is week. also actually a great movie. That is a great movie. We watched it last week, so I'm with you. That's no, good. Um, <laughs> this is a story you have shared many times. Um, so forgive me for asking you to repeat it, but I think it's phenomenal. And for those who haven't heard it, it's worth it. Um, if you would uh, indulge us with your Pat Summit story. Oh, yeah, man. So it was my first summer coaching. Um, I was at Dartmouth as an assistant, and I was at the Wide World Sports down in, down in Orlando. And, you know, they had those flash floods that I was not prepared for. And so I'm leaving, getting ready to leave the gym to go to a different to go to go a different site or whatever. And it was like one of those major flash floods. And walking behind me was Pat Summit. And I was like, oh, God. Because I would, I would have just waited and not walked out. But I was like, I mean, you can't be afraid of the rain if you're going to be a good coach. So just it'll be fine. I didn't have a raincoat or an umbrella or anything. And so she could tell that I was going for it. I was just going to, I don't know, make it happen and walk, walk out there. And so she said, you know, basically, hey, do you run the ball? And I said, I don't. And I said, hey, coach, I don't. She said, get out of here. So I'm standing under, we're walking under her umbrella, and here I am with Pat Summit. <laughs> Other peers of mine are walking by, sort of like, oh, my God, how is she with Pat Summit? You know, I'm 25 years old. Yeah. Um, and we get, to, we get to her the front of where she was going to let me off. She had a, a car pick her up. She was like, where's your car? And, you know, I left my, when I got there, I mean, the department or the obvious, you were there at 8 a.m. Yeah. or 7 a.m. And so there's only eight cars in the whole, the whole lot. Well, now there's 8,000 cars in the lot. So I don't remember what my car is, nor do I remember what color it is. I mean, it was just a lot. So I was like, ah, uh, you know, it's, you know, somewhere over there. And she was adamant about dropping me off in my car. So how embarrassing. I don't even know where my car is. <laughs> right? So we have to go down every aisle, and I'm pressing, like, mad, that lock, lock, lock. Anyway, get in the car. Fast forward to a year. So now I'm two years in, or I've only coached one full season. And I'm in at the Bayou Tournament in New Orleans. And I'm with a bunch of assistants the day before the tournament starts. And um, Pat walks in with Nikki DeMoss, and they're sitting at, like, a two-person table. You know, so I sort of waved, like, off, like kind of awkward, but also, like, you're awesome. That wave, whatever that wave is. <laughs> she waved back and whatever. So we just kind of continue about our business. So fast forward, we're, we're getting ready to pay a bill, and I said to the um, the, the um, waiter, I said, "Can we get our you know we go to check or whatever?" And he comes back, and there was a the, the check had had a paid on it, and it said from Pat, you know, it's basically like you know, court better luck, good luck finding your car tonight. Um, <laughs> uh, Pat, you know, Pat, Pat. I was just like, oh my god! And so to think of like I had been in you know I'd been in the business for one year when I first you know a couple months when I first met her, and then one full year when she when she bought the inner interest of the entire coaching staff, but you know, coaching group I was with, um, and never asked for any, you know, wasn't like, hey, I got you or anything. It just, she's just 
so opposite of the face that, that people see when they watch a coach. Yeah. And in a way, that has continually been my, my an inspiration to me that I'll be good to other people and I'll take care of myself. She's a very example of that. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. It's always, I always enjoy that one. Um, last thing, I'll get you out of here on this. I always like to uh, kind of leave this last one open-ended for you just to, we've, we've heard all about your journey. We've heard a little bit about your vision for your program, but um, anything that you would want people to, to know about you or know about your program going forward about you know what you want, just kind of, again, open-ended, just the message yeah. you would want people to hear about you, about Carolina. You know, I think it's just recognizing how grateful I am of all the people that have helped me get here and are continually supporting us. And I think you're obviously one of them and all you've done for the women's game. And so many of these coaches have been great peers and friends of mine and now supporters and competitors. Um, it's like the women's game and, and, and athletics in general. It's, it's we're, we're leading our, our young people and teaching them and modeling and all of that on how to how to be. And life's a team sport. And I think sometimes because of the competitiveness of it, I think sometimes the greater population forgets that or doesn't respect or doesn't know that it's actually a, a business that we're all aligned, it's competing with one another, which is a great way to teach um, some most important lessons. So I just have great gratitude that I'm in this chair. Um, I have great gratitude that I'm a part of a business that are a part of, it's full of people that care about the development of other people. Um, and we're, we're not perfect, um, but we're, we're aligned. And I think that's the, that's the part that's been really, because we just feel more like a business, uh, more like a, you know, more like a business I belong in. Uh, but in terms of Carolina, I just, I think just remembering that we're all, um, everyone's doing the best they can. And, and uh, you know, the program I took over at, at Princeton needed an adjustment period. We need an adjustment period. Um, but I think, I think women's basketball needs North Carolina to be good because of the brand that it is and the opportunity that it, that it is. And I feel really motivated to, 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 to bring it to where it belongs. I think we'll, we'll assemble the masses on the men's side of people that, that, that love, that will grow to love women's basketball. So we feel a responsibility to the game to get North Carolina where it belongs. Well, uh, well, I certainly uh, am pulling for you. I think you know that, but make it clear if not. But uh, Carolina will open up their first regular season game under Courtney Banghart November 7th at home against Western Carolina. So Courtney Banghart, again, 12-year run at Princeton, former Naismith National Coach of the Year, four Fortune top 50 leaders in the world. Your resume speaks for itself, but I, I am really, really appreciative of um, you sharing so much time with me today. Uh, again, best of luck to you your, you and your program, Coach, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too. We'll see how, what your win-loss record is after your first year and what mine is and the, the loser buys a beer at the final four. You want to Deal. All right. <laughs> All right, Coach. Everybody, and, uh, thanks for watching. Well, thanks again to Courtney Banghart, head coach at UNC Chapel Hill, for spending so much time with me this morning, having some fun and sharing a bit about her story as well. Thank you for listening to The Jump Around, whether it's on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is. Thank you. If you listen on iTunes, can leave a rating or review. That's super helpful. If you share it on social media platforms, also helpful. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is The Jump Around.